1: Welcome to the business of agriculture podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that you heard it in the introduction. Got a great show for you today. I've got a guy on here. We're going to talk about land trust. No, it's not estate planning for your farm. It's about how you can make money off of your recreational or a non-croppable type of acres. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that the Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by our friends at Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit a company founded by a guy named Nick Horeb, who wanted to create a better option for you, the farming and agricultural enterprise owner. You need software that helps your business work as hard uh, and be as profitable as you do, right? I mean, you want to get out there and you want to make this thing work. So uh, check out harvestprofit.com. It's a software solution that will help your ag enterprise thrive. Uh, also, a reminder that the business of agriculture is available wherever you listen to your podcast, you know, uh, iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and all those places, but it's also available as a video. That's right. Go to the Damian Mason channel on YouTube and you can uh, subscribe and get these right to, you know, notified every week when they come out. Okay. His name is Nick DeCastro and uh, he is the founder of Land Trust. And you're going to hear about how a whole bunch of agricultural property, a whole bunch of land that is held by the minority of us, us one percenters out here in agriculture, uh, is not making as much money as it could. So that's why we're going to talk to this guy. It's basically about harvesting your conservation asset. Nick, welcome to the business of agriculture.
0: Hey, appreciate you having me on here, Damon. Uh, really happy to speak with you and your listeners today.
1: Oh well, you know what? We we think you got a good topic, and that's why a girl named Jill Harold, who's a Montana gal, I met her way back when she was with Syngenta, introduced me to you. She's in my Business of Agriculture Success Group, and Jill said this is a neat, neat topic. You should check into it. So that's why uh, I got the introduction, and I think that she's right. This is a really good topic, and very pertinent. Tell me about land trust.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thanks, Jill. Jill's awesome. She's been super helpful with us and appreciate that introduction. So yes, Land Trust. Um, land Trust is an online marketplace that connects producer landowners with high quality sportsmen for hunting and fishing trips. Uh, you can think about us sort of like Airbnb for hunting and fishing on private lands and, and producers are using Land Trust to safely and simply generate significant incremental income uh, for their operations while maintaining 100% control of their land.
1: Okay. So land trust is the the place to go. If you say I'm a landowner, I've got these acres out here that uh, are uh, more conservation type acres. They're wooded, they're wetlands, they're prairie grass, they're range, they're whatever. And I think I can make a nickel off of somebody from uh, Omaha that wants to come out and go hunting. Is that what I'm talking about?
0: That's right. Yep. It's, you know, it could be, could be local folks. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this and how it kind of started, but it could be someone who lives down the street or it could be someone from across the country. The, the, the real concept here is that, um, these working lands have significant natural wildlife resources that, that there is a lot
1: of demand for, and we're just trying to help you connect with that demand. That's, uh, brilliant. Now, uh, you're not an ag guy, You're not an ag guy. There you are. You moved to Montana. You moved to Montana uh, from uh, Colorado, from California as a kid, whatever. You're not an ag guy. Is this just something you were driving down the road one day and looked out and said, look at all those acres. I wonder if there's a way we could help somebody make money on that. How does come about Uh, a, a good question? I get often. So,
0: Uh, You're right. I don't come from agriculture. Uh, I'm an aspiring farmer, so hopefully I can do well enough to farm at some point in time here because it's kind of expensive to get involved in it later in life. Um, So the idea to start Land Trust really uh, came from a desire to scratch my own itch. Uh, I live in Bozeman, as you mentioned, up here in Montana, and although we have tons of public land, often I, like many other people, find themselves wanting to hunt or fish on private working lands because of the amazing wildlife, uh, and natural resources that they have. And, you know, I found myself like, I, I would be happy to pay that landowner to come out and, you know, hunt and fish for a few days or, or whatever that might be, but there wasn't really any easy, or I, I think more importantly, from a producer's perspective, um, non-disruptive way to connect with those landowners. Of course, door knocking has always been a way to do this and kind of the way it's been done in the past, like you either marry into some land, you own it yourself or you knock on people's doors. Um, but you know, after speaking with honestly thousands of landowners at this point, building this business door knocking, generally speaking is not something that is, really desirable from a landowner perspective, especially our landowners who are producers, you know, they're very busy, they're very busy folks. Um, and, and door knocking at the end of the day is interrupting their day. You know, they weren't sitting around waiting for you to come and knock on their door, they were doing stuff. And, and also we've heard that it, it kind of makes them feel like the bad guy when they say, no, you know, you can't say yes to everybody
1: right yeah you know and also uh you know as a farm guy um i can tell you nick that this is something that uh we've dealt with our whole you know you've got the trespassing issue that we always had we'd be chasing mm-hmm. people off morning noon and night uh in hunting season around our place mm-hmm. and then also uh you know uh, it's interesting my poor old mother uh, she's had it when she was still alive. Uh a local police officer pulled in and started and intimidated her. You, you know, like wow. he's, he's in his uniform and, and like expecting that since he was a police officer that and yeah. so she was kind of shook up about that. I had to had to make a few phone calls uh over that deal. And then there's also the yeah. issue that some of the door knockers come out and they're like, Well, you got all this land, you know, why don't you use it? Then there's they're never really wanted to make an offer. It's not like, well, would you pay me? Uh, you know, uh, you know, for instance, I was taught my mom, these guys, well, I could help you get rid of some of those deer. And like, well, you know what she really needs help with? She really needs help clean her gutters. Uh, she yeah. really needs help. Uh, so there's never a transaction. The non-sexy thing.
0: stuff, you know? Yeah, right.
1: We, we, you know, if you want it, you want the hunting privileges, <laughs> how about if you come out here and, uh, and do some uh, and volunteer some labor? But there's never that. It's usually not transactional. You've made it very transactional. You've said this is something that people will pay for. Uh, Absolutely. And then, and then, you know, there's the people that say, well, I just can't believe they wouldn't just let me go there. Well, you know what? This land doesn't pay for itself. I mean, that's kind of the deal, right?
0: That's it. That's really it. And, and you know, I, I, frankly, I think, again, speaking speaking to thousands of landowners, um, making it transactional where it's just cash. Hey, here's my price and you pay me the price. It's clean. You know, both people get what they're after. It's an upfront thing. It's not kind of like, hey, I'll come back on Tuesday and help you fix fence. and They never show up. Yeah right. You know, it, it just makes it much cleaner that way, and, and honestly, so after thinking about it, I, I had been an Airbnb host for years uh, as I was a traveling salesman, so I was able to pay my rent at my place, you know, from renting it out on Airbnb. Saw the power of that, mm-hmm. and I looked at this marketplace and said, you know, why do, this this would
1: naturally apply to this supply and demand and connecting them. Right. Okay. There's a lot of outdoor space out here. Um, uh, by my, of course, I, I, wrote, I wrote the book on it, my book, uh, Food Fear, which is all about the business of food and agriculture uh, in America, especially. And uh, there's 900 million agricultural owned acres in the United States, as I uh, my research says. About 350 million of those are um, uh, cropland. And then you've got uh, the balance and range, pasture, etc. But then there's also a whole bunch of woodland. I own six, acres of hardwood forest, so there's a lot of land out there what's your research tell you nick are they making any money off of this uh
0: yes so you know there has been an existing market um, you know the way that landowners traditionally had made money off of these resources was you know traditional hunting leases right and you know hey a year multi-year here's the thing I just had a call with a guy this morning in Kansas has 1800 acres, sells crop insurance, you know, families, you know, farmers. And he called me up and he said, you know, I love this. You know, leases aren't interesting to me because I give up control. And this is the same thing I hear from my friends. He said, I try to call my friends. He's a hunter too. I try to call some of my best friends and, you know, lease from them and they say no, because I don't want to give up control and these are some of my best friends. And so, you know, that has been the existing way folks have monetized this aspect of their land. Um, and, and that's why, uh, you know, land trust has been such, um, a hit, I think with landers because they still maintain a hundred percent of their control. Right. It's not giving, you know, we've heard many times that, Hey, I leased out to this guy for hunting and now he's calling up my, my ranch hands, or he wants me to change my farming practices. You you know, wants my ranch hands to go do work for him. Like that's not the deal.
1: Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> right.
0: and Hey, if I want to have, you know, my son or uncle Rick come out. And on around Thanksgiving and, you know, hunt for some deer or birds or turkeys or whatever, like I want to let them do that. And technically you're, you you can not do that if you, if you go through a kind of a traditional lease, whereas this is, you know, with land trust, hundred percent, your control. Um, and there is, a, you know, many people have this asset that's really been unrecognized until, until now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about before Airbnb and VRBO came and made a market, not many people would have thought that strangers would pay them money to sleep in their spare bedroom or their bunkhouse, but once they created that market, and they're like, "Wow, you know, I have an asset here that I didn't realize I had." Yeah. A, a natural instinct is to improve that asset. If it was a bunkhouse, hey, maybe we put wi- you know fast Wi-Fi in there, or a big screen TV, or a jacuzzi in the back because we know we can make money off of that. Yeah. In land trust world, you have producers who look at you know turkeys and deer and stuff as, if anything, kind of a liability. And, you t- and now you show them, hey, this is actually a really valuable asset that's decommoditized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can make money from it. And they start making money from these assets and say, hey, how do we improve that asset? And it's really habitat work. So it's maybe we're doing a little bit of cover crop here. or We do take some of this marginal ground and we, you know, we plant a little food plot or we do some more water stuff, release some edges. And, and so really that profit incentive that we, w- that we connect these landowners with kind of helps drive that.
1: Yeah, I, I like that also. I like your point about leases and control. Um, you know, I, I've seen this. Obviously, I'm an ag guy. I'm a landowner, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm a hunter, and I'm an outdoors person. And I go fishing and hunting myself, but I tend to just go on my own property. Right. And um, uh, I I see that also, like, well, wait a minute, you're going to pay me a little bit of money and frankly, you know, you always want to make maximize your return on stuff, but then it's like, well, what for a thousand dollars, I also have to not be able to use right. this myself or for a thousand dollars. I got some guy now that thinks that he's going to tell me what to do. Property next to a property that I own is leased. And this guy acts as though he owns. I mean, it's, you know, half yep. a million dollars worth of property. And he acts like for $500 of lease that he actually is the owner. It's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, well,
0: and, and you're exactly right. And no one who is booking, you know, through land trust, a platform like us, where they say, Hey, I'm going to book these five days with my friends and stay in the bunkhouse. They're obviously not going to think that they own the land. They know that they're there for a short period of time and they're grateful for the
1: experience and opportunity. Yeah. Um, liability comes to mind. Uh, sure. that's a big thing. You know, I, I, uh, I like my, I like my few hundred acres of land that I own. I'm not really keen on the idea of some jackass comes out and, uh, you know, shoots his hunting buddy cause they're drunk and, uh, and, and are sure. bad hunters. And all of a sudden then I get sued. Wait a minute. So tell me about the liability protections. Yeah. You touched on a couple things there that I think are really important.
0: So having, you know, been working in this business and again, talking to thousands of landers all over the country, we often heard, Hey, we used to let people come out and do this, but then there's always that one person who ruined it. And, and when we listen to those experiences, it's my job as an entrepreneur to try and unpack, like, why did that go wrong? Mm -hmm. And honestly, when we boiled it down, it often came to anonymity. That person was anonymous to the landowner. They knocked on a door. They could seem like a nice person. They might talk the talk. And then they just didn't act correctly. Mm-hmm. And so we start this conversation about uh, liability, really what's kind of trust and protection. So it's important for, for our landowners to understand that every sportsman that signs up and uses land trust, uh, one, they, they click uh, you know, there are terms of service for using our platform is that they hold landowners harmless. So first and foremost, right. um, they have to do identity verification So they have to take, you know, pictures of their driver's license or passport. They have to take a selfie. We use a third party company that actually Airbnb uses to verify, Hey, you are who you say you are right. They pay with credit cards up front. So we always make the joke that when you have someone's credit card and ID, they act a lot more honest than if they just, you know, stranger knocking on your door because really they're in the, in the model before where someone's knocking on your door, There's no ramification. There's, there's, if something goes wrong, there's no recourse for the landowner. I don't know. He drove a black truck, you know, like there's nothing going to happen there. So first we start with that stuff. Then we carry a million dollar general liability policy for our landowners. Uh, We also do we're, we're right now adding in um, in 21 participant insurance. So that covers the sportsmen who are going out on these properties uh, 10k uh, participant insurance, so if they break their leg or something, they they can leverage that insurance to pay for medical bills or whatnot. We will offer our landowners protection, uh, property protection policy. So I believe that's a 10k limit too. This stuff is being finalized as we speak. Um, so if a gate gets broken or something like that, just come to us and we'll deal that directly with you, self-insured.
1: Yeah, we all we all have the stories. Everybody that's listening to this right now is in the business of agriculture or has an interest in it. And they're like, hey, wait a minute. I remember this exact thing. Uh, you know, True. grandma used to let somebody come out and hell, they bust they, they cut her fence or they, you know, they left their trash. Right. And, and we all have those stories. And it's frankly, uh, it becomes very insulting to the the landowner. And I know that there's folks that are saying, I'd like to be able to take my child out, but they want to you know money for this. And I'm like, Well, you know, what if you want to go skiing? Uh, yeah. you no, know, that, that, That's that, a great skiing question. skiing is not free. If you want to go, you know, do a lot of things, golf, yeah, to, any of these things, there's yeah. a cost to utilization of someone else's property is what you're talking about. And you know, there's lots of public land and, and, uh, the uh, person can go to, uh, before we get to your next, you were getting ready to say something, sure. I want to hold that thought. I want to remind our listeners, cause it's the midpoint of the show right now that this episode of the business of agriculture, like so many before it was brought to you by my good friends at Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution that'll help your agricultural enterprise be what it's supposed to be—profitable. You can go to harvestprofit.com and use a free trial for 14 days; won't cost you nothing. And while you're there, you can check out awesome articles written by Harvest Profit's founder, Nick Horob. He's uh, he's got some really interesting information, short reads that will help you think about your business differently. Okay. Nick, you were getting ready to say something when I had that uh, point. Yeah, you absolutely. So one harvest profit
0: seems like a cool, I reached out to Nick on the side. seems like a really awesome, we're both, we're both Nicks and we're both talking about how to add profit profitability to your agriculture That's operation. Right. Right. Um, but you mentioned things like, Oh, they left trash or, you know, that kind of thing. The other piece to a marketplace like ours is landowners get to rate sportsmen after the interaction. So ah, after, like the you know, Uber I, thing,
1: like the Uber thing where the Uber, like Uber traffic, like Airbnb, whether you're worthy of getting in a stranger's car again.
0: Precisely. Precisely. So again, all this transparency and accountability leads to a different type of sportsman. If I'm willing to go through these processes of uploading IDs and paying with credit card and being rated afterwards, um, we had a few hundred trips happen, a couple hundred trips happen this last year and 95% five-star ratings from landowners to sportsmen who came on their properties. So, So, you know, that's... 95% 95% rating, uh, our landowners rated 95% of the trips at five stars. Okay. Uh, from, from hosting sportsmen. Okay. So, you know, there really is a much more accountable, uh, sportsman that uses land trust. We've had plenty of sportsmen who call our customer success, and like, Hey, I don't want to do this ID thing. I want to pay with cash. And we're just, Hey, that's, that's not really what we're doing here.
1: You know? Yeah. Now that's the thing. Um, uh, Now, all of a sudden, uh, me and my buddies go to uh, to Mississippi duck hunting every year. Uh, We've we've Mm -hmm. done this through land trust. And all of a sudden I become buddies with that guy. Uh, Then I might just say, hey, why don't we just cut out land trust? You know, they're taking it. Right. Is that going to happen to you? Well, look, it's my job.
0: So to, to the landowners who are listening there, it's, it's land trust job. We are a business partner of yours. So we're, we're not selling you anything. We're a partner. We, yeah. we, we, have a platform, we build the technology and our job is to get the demand um, and we make money alongside of you. So we make our money on a commission basis. Uh-huh. And it's my job and our team's job to provide such good service and such good technology to make it so easy that why would you want to do that? Right. You know, I, and I exactly, so we're, we're giving you insurance, you know, uh, payments up front, uh, the direct deposit to your account, calendar blocking and availability all managed out of it. It'd be more of a pain
1: to try and pencil him in on your fridge calendar, yeah. you know, than, than do it. And just and like, hey, just your system. But I, and you're taking a cut, uh, obviously, on this. You're making money because companies yes. companies are for profit. You can't, tell, you can't tell some of these uh, socialist types that we have around, <laughs> around in the United States, but the uh, reason you went into business to try and make a living. Uh, That's right. How much do you take? we take it just a flat 10%. Okay. So, and
0: by the way, we pay, you know, credit card processing fees out of that for insurance, all the other okay. stuff. So just a
1: straight 10% and uh, our landowners have found that that's a very fair percentage. So Nick um, how many acres, I mean, you're only a couple year old company. So this is, this yeah. is decent. it's, it's, it's at the very beginning. Uh, how many acres you got signed up so far? Yes,
0: we have, uh, over 300,000 acres signed up in really the first year, year and a half of operations so far. So we've grown to 37 States and, um, you know, we've got some pretty big plans. As you mentioned, I had a, I had a question here, but you beat me to it. Like how many farmland acres do you
1: think there are in the U S and as you mentioned, it's almost 900 million. Yeah. 900 so there's a huge, huge market here. Right. as a kind count. Like I said, a lot of the woodland, et cetera, et cetera. Like I said, right. I've got, um, I've, I own 280 or so acres pushing 300, I guess, and uh, about 60 of it's wooded. And uh, of course I, I, we use it ourselves. So we're not going to probably be one of your customers. Of course. But I, if I were in a different situation, I would. Um, what do you see? Let's talk about the business of agriculture. You're out right here. Sure. I mean, you started by, you, you came up with this concept and then, How did it, how did you get your first acre signed up? Oh, smiling and
0: dialing. I mean, you know how it is. You gotta, you gotta hustle. I mean, literally knocking on doors, doing all that stuff. And I've met with a lot of our first landowners regardless of where they were driving to them. So that's how we got it going. Um, You know, when you talk about the business of agriculture and kind of zooming out here, we really, we see ourselves participating in what we call the conservation economy and it's Doing things that are conservation or stewardship oriented, but not just for the sake of them, you know, for doing good, but also for for profiting while you're doing it. And really, frankly, we see a large opportunity for a for-profit company like ourselves to come and add that profit incentive into conservation stewardship practices And connect landowners with these conservation dollars, because it's my belief, again, I'm a, I'm a non-producer and, 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 you know, I don't pretend to be an expert, but from having all these conversations with producers over, over the last couple of years, it's my belief that the future of working lands is going to depend on a portfolio of income streams from obviously agricultural production to recreation and conservation related income streams. You know, we as land trust want to be your business partner for those conservation recreation income
1: streams. Yeah, you know, it's it's. Uh, I agree with you. And um, our listeners, viewers are probably noticing, I've been bringing a bit more of this on here. You know, I, I try to have a big picture of business of agriculture. That's why I always say, you know, sure. I'm not going to just be in here talking about corn prices. And, and you right. know, if you want a chart on uh, how to, you know, how to sell soybeans in the futures market, go to the CME. Uh, so sure, you, you can do all that. I I have also had on, because I like to be big picture here, uh, you know, ag starts with the land. Uh, You know, the person that's listening to this might sell uh, John Deere machinery or might be in the seed business or crop insurance or or anywhere in between, but ag starts with the land. And um, it's a resource that generally does uh, go up in value, uh, but also is a big nut. You know, it's a lot to buy. It's a huge capital expenditure. And so I've had on the carbon guy, you you know, here (laughs) I listened to that podcast. It was awesome. Because it's something that right now, whether you are into the whole, I think it's a little overdone, this whole climate um, legislation, but if it's the marketplace that we are given, then we should make money on it. So I see a future where ag landowners are going to make money off of timber, off of hunting, uh, off of the conservation economy, as you say, off of carbon. Uh, I mean, we got solar properties that are now going, um, but is it just hunting? Like for your thing, Hey, I don't want my birdies shot. I love my sure. pheasants. I don't want someone coming out here and killing those poor things. Is that all land trust does or could you do something else? Sure. That's a, a good question. There's a few
0: things in there. Uh, today we primarily focus on hunting and fishing. That's where we are today. So if you, if you didn't want hunting, but you have fishing resources, awesome. You could just list that.
1: Wait a minute. Um, is, fishing, is fishing, if I catch a fish and I fillet it, does do I kill it? Just kind of like I killed the present, <laughs> because it seems like the same net result, right? Hey, I'm pro hunting
0: and fishing. So it's hard for, that's a hard one for me to answer. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. all the same to me. Uh, but you know, some people just have their preferences and again, yeah. control, land trust gives you 100% control of how you want your resource to be leveraged. Um, But, you know, we will be going into these other things, the conservation economy, it includes those carbon credits. It includes, you know, doing cover crops and getting all those other, you know, timber management, et cetera. That's all part of the conservation economy as we see it. Um, And we will go into other, you know, nature based outdoor recreation stuff too. We've actually already had folks uh, using land trust to book stargazing you know, like where they're paying yeah. a landowner to literally go sit outside of their vehicle at night and stare up at the sky. Yeah. So, so there is a plenty of opportunity to go into these other things. And, you know, we see a world in the future with land trust. We're just starting and this is where we're starting, but where we're going is starting to connect landowners with all those other types of conservation related dollars in that what we call conservation economy. So imagine you start making money by letting folks come out and hunt turkeys on your place. Like, wow, you know, $5,000 last year from a handful of guys come out to hunt turkeys. Right. Didn't think that was ever a thing. Yep. Well, how do I make that asset better? Well, maybe I plant some cover crop or something like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, cover crops also s- sequester carbon. You start doing that kind of stuff. You, and you can start stacking these, uh, you know, these income streams on top of each other. Right. And that's really the idea of the vision.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So uh, you said stargazing, Uh, I guess it could be nature walks. It could be nature watching. Absolutely. Biking,
0: hiking, camping, any of those nature based outdoor recreation. Um, So folks are again, these landowners are stewarding an asset that is so valuable to the public and they are willing to pay uh, your prices for it to come out and just enjoy the fruits of your labor.
1: Yeah, we've no, we know about a lot hunting because we've seen the hunting leases as you mentioned for yep. the last couple of decades, um, and uh, there's a, a few other things though. Like you said, that might be friend of mine is a big RV person. He's in the RV business, and he explained to me that there's this thing where you open up your farm property that folks don't want to go and stay at a campground or park in front of a Walmart. They want to be out in the country, and you say, "Great, I got the I got the situation." Yeah. You let them pull in there and, and boondock it. I think is what they call it, or something. Yeah, the website yeah. cool for that, isn't there? I think there is. Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of them.
0: Actually, a buddy of mine has one. Uh, he's based out of Billings, called Mooch Docker. Uh, but boondocking, boondocking, boondocking is one of those things. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you talked a little bit about your future, and um, are you going to stay in ag? Do you see other opportunities in ag? You know, you you're not an ag person, but you're 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 now obviously fully fully entrenched in it, and you understand the some of the unique um, challenges that, that we have out here. Um, do you see other opportunities? So, you know, we won't ever really go into
0: agriculture. There's, you know, there's a ton of folks who are, you know, deep in the, in the, in the agricultural technology game. That is a different thing than ours. Again, we believe the f- the future of agriculture is going to be agricultural production, recreation and conservation revenue mm-hmm. we are going to focus on that recreation and conservation revenue streams yeah. agriculture has its own separate thing now we're all dealing with the landowner and again as you mentioned land is the true asset so everyone this whole economy sir, you know circles around private rural land you know working lands and so there is opportunity of course we have landowners that aren't producers they just own, you know some timbers and rural lands. Fair so, way. you know, and when you, when you zoom out to not just production lands, there's a billion, I don't know, a billion and a half acres of, of rural lands that are across timber and grazing and crop and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So
1: plenty of opportunities there. The biggie, how much, how much, okay. I've got my, and I know it's going to vary by what you're offering, but just give me a couple of examples or stories, if you will.
0: Yeah. Great question. So, so you're, you know, just to, for the audience, how much uh, money could you make from this opportunity in this marketplace? So as you just mentioned, it obviously varies. If you own a quarter acre in the middle of a city, probably nothing, you know, right. so there is, there are some parameters, right. Um, but depending on the resource itself, let's just say this, in our first you know, full year of operation across landowners, across 37 states, the average landowner for just do it yourself access for hunting and fishing was twenty four hundred dollars? That's almost pure profit. You know, taking a couple minutes of your of your year to do that kind of. Thing. So tell me again, the average for your customer base, Yeah, our, our landowners, yep, was twenty four hundred dollars in this in twenty twenty. Now we had many that made over ten thousand dollars, and our highest earning landowner in twenty twenty made twenty eight thousand dollars. He's a farmer in South New Jersey. Uh, he, South he had, New Jersey, yeah. You, you wouldn't think uh, Central New Jersey. I don't know if South would probably wouldn't be the right Central New Jersey. Um, over there by the Delaware river, uh, river and he had probably 10 properties that he listed with us between 20 and hundred acres. And it was do it yourself, whitetail and Turkey hunting. You know, it's not trophy bucks or anything like yeah, that. Right, they, right. He just has this resource. And again, there is an amazing amount of demand by the sportsman community to just have a place to go yeah. to enjoy themselves. And, and I mean, he wasn't charging anything crazy either. We have some properties that are very high end where you're going to pay some really solid money because they've got, you know, a really amazing resource. Uh He was charging, you know, between 50 and $80 a day,
1: maybe 28 grand. So 50 and $80 a day, but obviously he's in a very populous area. So New York, New Jersey, Northeast corridor there that said, Hey, I'm going to drive out to South central New Jersey and, and, uh, now, what about the issue of uh, that place gets overhunted? So now the person that comes out there says, holy crap, I gave this guy $80 and I didn't even see an animal. I didn't see, I didn't even see a bird. I didn't see nothing. Well, does that happen? Uh, it hasn't happened yet. We, and this is, it's a good
0: question. So we will need to make sure that we're helping, especially, so you're a, you're a hunter and you, you understand generally how to manage land. So if you were to ever sign up with land trust, you'd say, Hey, look, I'm going to sell, one deer hunt in the rifle season. And that's good for us, you know, so you're managing your harvest, but we're going to have many producers who don't hunt and that's not really their thing. Yeah. So it's our job to help again, as their business partner say, Hey, you've got this resource. We want it to be sustainable. Yeah. So that it continues to get better and and is there for you. So we don't suggest you, you know, hunt every single day of the hunting season. Maybe you sell three hunts a year, Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a good enough thing for you to, to make the amount of money that is important and impactful for you. I see. So, and we're going to, we'll work with, uh, we're setting up partnerships right now with some of the big species-based organizations, you know, Your Ducks Unlimited and you know, National Deer Association. Yeah. And we're doing that because they have this, the research and the science and the, the knowledge that we can pass through to our landowners. Hey, you've got whitetail and turkeys on your property. Here's how to manage that property really well from the people whose whole business it is creating habitat and maintaining that resource. Okay.
1: So uh, I, I like what you're talking about here now. Uh, Wall Street Journal had an article here a couple of months ago that uh, during hunting season, yep. that hunting and fishing had an uptick in popularity because it was outdoors. And a lot of people didn't, you know, the whole pandemic shut down, lockdown, they sure. said, you know what I want to do? I want to do something where I can be closer to nature and all that. So it had an uptick, but until that point, the outdoor sports had been declining pretty rapidly. Sure. A bunch of the young people, frankly, you're 33 years old. Everybody your age and younger would rather sit and play video games than uh, go out and, and uh, put on uh, briar pants and walk uh, and, and flush feathers. <laughs> um, what do you see happening? Because that's obviously what one of your big reasons. What are your big? It's your thing right now. Um, what do you see happening? So,
0: yeah, I've had this conversation with, uh, friends who also run companies in this industry and, you know, we've had the numbers that have often been quoted from survey data. Mm -hmm. So the U S fish and wildlife service does surveys. I think it's every four, four or five years, and it's an extrapolation. They interview, you know, they survey a thousand people and extrapolate data. When you look at license sale data where you know, they'll give you this from every state, License sales have been incredibly stable since 2000. You know, they're always between that 15 and a half, 16 million licenses sold. Okay. So, uh, the narrative that hunting was on this massive decline, I think, is maybe a little skewed, uh, certainly per capita since 1950. Of course, you know, per capita hunting has gone down. It used to be uh, like one in four adults. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think the pandemic really woke people up to. Hey, we should get back a little bit to outdoors, not only from i I'm tired of being stuck inside and hunting and fishing were the original social distancing, Um, but also, you know, uh, beef production, meatpacking plants went down, you know, and people people saw their beef, people saw their beef prices go up like crazy. So that's why I'm going to put
1: a deer in the freezer and, uh, and feed my family.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it sounds kind of a, it sounds like a stretch, but I mean, it was, it honestly, people started to pay attention to it. And I think there's a whole conversation about kind of uh, the decentralization of of production and agriculture, which is a really interesting one to have and keeping our food sources a little closer to us. Uh, we have tons of amazing beef up here and, and we should be able to process and eat the beef that grows right next to us. Yeah. Um, so I think there was a bit of a bit of the kind of like, Whoa, food stuff is breaking down a little bit. I went to the store and there wasn't much meat on the, on the counters. Right. Right. And then of course, getting back outside close to nature, you know, they can't do anything else. So I think those things really, and we'll retain them. Uh, I'm a, and I'm a strong believer that land trust will play a, a big role in retaining them because these newer hunters who are adult onset hunters, they're used to booking things on Airbnb and these yeah, other right, things. Right. 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 Yeah. They, so they, this is buying. a natural platform for them. Sure. Yeah.
1: Going, going on and buying crap on Amazon, whatever. It's yep. just natural. Yeah. They've never banged on a door. Hell they don't even, they don't even talk nope. to their friends. They just text. <laughs> See, I, I get you on that.
0: And by the way, I want to say that it's slanderous to say that I would rather stay and play video games. So I don't, don't count me in on that.
1: All right. So you're, you're a reluctant millennial. Um, right you you're uh, you've just given us a couple of observations. Um most sure. of my people that listen to this obviously are in the business of ag. You came at it from an outside perspective. Give me a couple give me one observation or two about the business of agriculture that you've noticed that maybe the those that are right within it don't because we're too close to it. Anything? Yeah. yes, I think there's a stereotype and I think a lot of even
0: the folks who participate in the industry that farmers and ranchers are like, you know, reticent to try new things, you know, they're tech averse, all that stuff. Of course there are those people in every population. I'm not saying that. But what I have found by and large, look, founding a new business, if you're starting something new and interesting, there's going to be a bunch of people telling you that's dumb and it's not, no one will do it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of almost like, all right, well, maybe we have something here. And you know, we heard a lot of uh, landers will never do that. They're doing it and enjoying it overwhelmingly and generating income for their families. And that takes people who are willing to say, you know what, I see new things. I understand that the markets are changing around me. I'm not farming, you know, the way my gran- grandfather in the, in the yep. environment that my grandfather did or my great-grandfather. And we need to go and try these new things. On that point, the other observation I could say is that it's often the women and the families who are doing these things. <laughs> um, you could get the men's attention and they might say it's, it's interesting, but if you want to get it done, it's the wife, the daughter, the granddaughter who's like pulling the trigger and actually doing it. And I don't know if it's because they're the ones managing the books, which we we've seen a lot of, but they're the ones really pushing forward this innovation often in the families.
1: I I love that you said that, you know, um, uh, it's, it's accurate. And, uh, I've got a couple of things on that as well. You know, I've got people out here in paradise Valley, Arizona down uh, across the road here from me and they, they think there's people who think that they're, you know, big money people. And I'm like, you know, sure. I, I know ag folks that have millions of dollars of capital at risk every day, millions of dollars of net worth. And, you know, they drive, they drive F two fifties and, yep. uh, and wear Carhartts, you know? So there's a business side of it that a lot of folks don't fully understand. And most of these people, You know, when you said twenty four hundred dollars, I was going to tell you if someone said, hey, we'll give you two hundred dollars for this. Like, I I don't I don't even want to be hassled for two hundred dollars, not because I'm so above that, just because there's a certain hassle factor. Right. Yeah. And also the point is, um, and I think that's increasingly a good thing about ag, these folks that then it tends to be man, wife. And yeah, it does a lot of times tend to be the the girl, daughter, wife mother, yep. whatever you're talking about, that is more looking at the money. And so, yeah, it's uh, they're open-minded. Uh, as you said, there's not this whole thing that agriculture people are closed-minded. They are taking you up on your offer, but uh, the person that pulls the trigger on it is the money person. And that tends to be the... <laughs> the women in the family, whoever it might be, like I said, wife,
0: daughter, granddaughter, they're the ones really focused on the financial aspects
1: of these things, which is fantastic. You know, Absolutely. Uh, I point out all the time, uh, agriculture is a lifestyle, but you only have the lifestyle if you have the business. And, uh, that's one of the whole things that I point out, uh, anything we didn't discuss that we should, Nick,
0: you know, uh, I would just say, you know, it's important kind of to leave the folks with, especially um, producers, this audience, you have a largely unrecognized asset in your wildlife and natural resources. And, and we here at Land Trust are offering an opportunity to safely and simply uh, and securely generate income from those assets by hosting sportsmen on their land. And, you know, by doing it, they're not only generating income for themselves and their families, but they're opening up additional access to sportsmen for one of our greatest pastimes. And
1: yeah, and some of generally pretty good, uh, you know, obviously I'm an outdoors person, you are as well. So yeah. I that. So they can check you out at landtrust.com, right? Yes, sir. Land Trust, one word, LandTrust.com. One word. That's right. So a uh, reminder that this episode of the Business of Agriculture is brought to you by my buddy Nick Horeb's uh, uh, company, Harvest Profit. Uh, you can go to HarvestProfit.com and check out a software solution that will work for your agricultural enterprise to make it what it is supposed to be a more profitable business. Nick DeCastro, founder of Land Trust, uh, talking big picture about the conservation economy. I very much appreciate being on here. I really appreciate you having me on, Damien. This is great. Till next time, it's the Business of Agriculture.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode of the Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.